0: For being here this morning. I have, a, I have a few comments to make here about children in church. Okay, so you know when we had small children in church here, um, Aaron Glick was our minister. Aaron Lick was preaching and Aaron Glick would tell us, so he was talking to you know those of us that had little children, He would tell us that that the church service, the Sunday morning church service, is not the place to teach your children to sit still and be quiet. Remember that, Ben? When when should that be done? At home. At home. (coughs) Pardon? (coughs) During family devotions at home. Yeah. And I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, we want to continue in our study of David. I'm going to backtrack a little bit this morning, at least in the first part of the message. I'm on the uh, Choice Books board and we have a president that keeps sending out these devotionals and and, and they really they're really interesting and stimulating, you know, so um, he was sending out some devotionals on david in david's childhood, especially, and um, kind of introduced me some to some ideas that I was pursuing and looked at uh, a lot uh, more um, some things I would have thought of in the past, but I did a little more digging in some of these in some of these areas. And so I'd like to talk start out, I'd like to start out by just backtracking a little bit and talking about David's childhood again. And I know we did a message on this earlier. And uh, so some of it may be repeated. So Paul repeats himself too in his writings. So that's all right, isn't it? Okay. So um, some of it may be repeated a little bit, but um, in, in David's childhood, then, there's some things that, came, that come through, um, especially in this psalm that Ben read, and uh, also some other ideas that come through in some of the psalms that kind of add to something that I had been thinking about earlier. So David um, was out taking care of the sheep when Samuel came to Jesse's house, his father's house, to find a king. to to anoint the next king. David was out taking care of the sheep. David was not called to the sacrifice and to this time of anointing. David wasn't called to that. The other brothers were there, it says there were seven, I think there were seven uh, brothers were there. Uh, Samuel went down through the list, through the line from oldest to youngest and God had said there's none of these, none of these boys, or to be the next king. Samuel would have thought, you know, some of them looked good, some of them were big and strong and handsome, and they would have made good kings, but God said, I haven't chosen any of those. And then Samuel says, are you sure? You, you know, don't you have another boy yet? No, no others. And then, uh, then Jesse said, you have, you have this little guy. He's out taking care of the sheep. He 's out taking care of the sheep, and so David was called brought in and called and um, he was then anointed to be the next king um, let's let's notice a few phrases here that come through in psalm sixty nine and, and and try to try to connect some dots here and i and I understand that you know you can there are there's always the possibility of reading more into a passage of scripture than what is meant to be said. I understand that. And I, and I, and I would say this morning, I'm probably on the, on the fringes maybe of that. But at the same time, we believe that the Bible was inspired by God and everything that is written is written for a purpose. And so we, it's easy to sometimes overlook phrases that can take us in a certain direction, in a certain way of thinking, because it doesn't quite fit into maybe the normal way of thinking about something. So I, I understand that too. So I'm, you know, looking at a few things here this morning. Um, I think, I think there's verses here in Psalm 69 that are talking about where David is talking about his childhood. I think David is talking about his childhood. Okay, look at verse 4, for instance. It says, they hate me without a cause. They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head. They would destroy me, being my enemies wrongfully are mighty. Then I restored that which I took not away. This phrase then implies that David was accused of something in his childhood, which he didn't do, but he made it right anyhow. He made it right anyhow. Look at, let's look at verses 7 and 8. Because for thy sake I have borne reproach, shame hath covered my face. Verse 8, I am become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. What's he saying here about his childhood? What's he saying about his childhood? I am become a stranger to my, mother, uh, to my mother's children. Um... Verse 12, they that sit at the gates speak against me. I, am, I was the song of the drunkards. Um, I think there's some things coming through here in David's childhood that are, that are significant. Now let's go to Psalm 51, verse five. Psalm 51 is David's prayer of repentance after his um, affair with Bathsheba. But verse five here is an interesting verse. He says, behold, I was shapen, or I was, uh, another word for shapen was I was brought forth. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. What is David saying? What is David saying about his childhood? And we look at, you know, so now you, you, we take the risk of reading too much into something, but we also take the risk of just plain overlooking some things sometimes when statements are made. So what is what is David saying? What is David saying about himself in some of these verses? Was David... and, and you, you go through that uh, passage there in, in First uh, Samuel 16, with David's anointing, and it it would indicate that Jesse was a very prominent man in the in the village of Bethlehem. David was a, uh, Jesse was a prominent man there, and a man of distinction, a man of influence. Um, I'm suggesting here that David that David probably didn't have the same mother as the other boys. I'm suggesting that David didn't have the same mother as the other boys. The Bible doesn't talk, any, talk about his mother, except here it talk, talks about his mother. Um, and, so, uh, and also there in 1 Samuel uh, 16, and I should just maybe, I should maybe just turn to that, First Samuel 16, it, it actually talks about how David looked. Okay, so they sent for David, and he was, and he sent, and brought him in. Here again, there's, there's a phrase, some phrases here, that are easy to overlook, and at the same time, maybe we can read too much into them, but here it says now, he, uh, talking about David, it says, now he was rudy, which means red, and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. This phrase would indicate that David did not look like his brothers. Does that add, does that add something? Yeah, it does add something. Yeah, probably from a different mom than the other brothers were. And then you go to passages like Psalm 69 and you see David, David did not have an easy, David did not have an easy childhood. And at the, at the time Samuel came to find the king from the sons of Jesse David was out, David was out somewhere. Um, According to what David had told Saul later, before he went to see Goliath, he had killed a lion and killed a bear. So why was David out in the wilderness dealing with lions and bears at the time when the other boys were at home? And they were there at the meeting with um, Samuel. You know, so. So we we kind of put some things together, right? We kind of put some things together. And I don't think David had an easy childhood. Uh, David had a difficult time and he probably wasn't accepted with the rest of the boys. Um, Put out to take care of the sheep, he was the youngest in the family and um, he didn't have have an easy childhood according to some of these verses here in um, in Psalm 69. Then we combined that. Okay, so David grew up in probably kind of a dis- dysfunctional kind of home. Um, at least for him, it was kind of dysfunctional. He didn't fit in with the rest of the boys. Um, and then we combined that with uh, about eight or ten years of of uh, the time that he was running from Saul, Um, days when he didn't know, you know, when he would be captured and so on. Um, Living in the, again, living in the wilderness, um, not knowing where he's going to sleep the next night and what he's going to eat, sometimes even that day. Uh, David had a very, very hard time growing up and it wasn't until David was 30, 30 years old that we have him as being anointed as king of Judah. This was only been the tribes of Judah and Benjamin and he wasn't 30 till it was on it was not until he was 37 that he was anointed king over all Israel. And so we kind of look back on David's life and we you know it's easy to to kind of push some of that into the background of David's life, we see David as being a very effective king, and we think of all the great things he did as a king. But let's let's think also about David's childhood and the first 30 years of his life, which were not which were not easy. And it's it's a little hard to put a timeline on uh, when he was anointed as king, and also when he was. Uh, when he fought with Goliath and so on, but um, probably anointed as king, at, I mean, I'm just saying probably the age of maybe 15. A couple of years later he would have uh, fought a giant Goliath, but we do believe that he was probably running from Saul for about 8 or 10 years uh, from the time he was 20 or 22 till he was about 30, and uh, then later became king of Judah and then king over uh, all Israel. And so, uh, David's childhood was hard and difficult. But we find, we find David uh, responding well to the difficulties of his childhood. And you know David didn't have a support group, he didn't have counseling, he didn't have you know all the resources that we would have today. Um, and uh, there, you know there's a sense in which none of us there's, there's a sense in which none of us come from perfect homes. And, and, you know, if we want to be really honest, none of us are going to provide a perfect home. Right? None of us are going to provide a perfect home. And so I think, I think all of us, everyone, in some way, is, needs to deal with some of those things from your childhood. And I, I often wonder, you know, so how bad does a home have to be before we say it's dysfunctional? But... Um, You know, certainly we would say, well, divorce and remarriage, that's a dysfunctional home. But there's other ways homes can be dysfunctional. But God has given us, I'm telling you, God has given us the resources to deal with that in a positive kind of way. God has given us the resources to deal with that in a positive kind of way. We. We are not excused for having any kind of entitlement kind of mentality where everyone owes me something. We can't blame our family background for mistakes and whatever in our own lives. We need to assume responsibility for those things and deal with them. And God has given us resources to do that. And it is not necessary to live a life of defeat because of negative things in our background. It's not necessary. And I believe God would give us resources to work with that. I'd like to look at, um, turn to the book of Acts, um, Acts 16. We have some of this coming through and in uh, Timothy's life, and we're talking about Timothy saw me in the book of Philippians, and also 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. In both of those books, Paul talks about Timothy right at the beginning of the book as being one of his his faithful helpers. But let me read something here in in, uh, Acts 16. I wanna read the first three verses. And here again, we take the risk of reading too much into a passage of scripture where there's some comments made about some things. But we also take the risk of overlooking some of these things. Acts chapter 16, verse 1. And then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, who was a Jewess and believed. But his father was a Greek. He's talking about Timothy, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go with to go forth with him, and took him and circumcised him because the Jews which were in those quarters, because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Okay, so we have Timothy, a young man who joined Paul at Lystra on the second missionary journey. He joined Paul at Lystra, he and on the second missionary journey, and was one of the most faithful helpers, followers of Paul. Uh, we we don't, you know, others kind of followed Paul for a while, and then they were, you know, doing their own thing and so on. We don't we don't ever read about that in, with Timothy. And Timothy was sent by Paul to various churches to help encourage those churches and so on. But let's look at a little at Timothy's background. So here we have his mother, a Jewess. And in 2 Timothy, it says that his mother, his grandmother was Law's, His mother was Eunice. And they were both Jewish and they were believers. And Timothy picked up on their faith. And here in... Verse two it says, he was well reported of by the brethren, but we have a boy here who grew up. we have a boy here who grew up with a Jewish mother and a Gentile father. And you talk about a in Bible today we, we you know we look at passages of scripture like this, and again, we tend to read through this without act, actually you know, seeing the significance of this, but, but we have here a boy who was a total misfit. There was probably no worse kind of combination that a boy could grow up with than having a Jewish mother and a, and a Gentile father. This boy was a misfit. The Jewish people certainly wouldn't accept him because of his Gentile father, and the Gentiles wouldn't accept him because of his Jewish mother. And yet we have Paul picking up on the faith of his grandmother and his mother and we have here um, his reputation it says he was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra. Another example of a boy who grew up probably in a dysfunctional kind of situation. It doesn't say that his mother and father were married. It doesn't say what kind of a home he had. It just says the father was a Greek. And so you read read, uh, um, other kind of words that come in here. It says uh, he was named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman. And... um, Others that have studied uh, Timothy's life and studied the lives of others in these kind of situations in Bible times will tell you that this boy did not fit in. When Paul came to Lystra on his first missionary journey, it says he was stoned, he was drug out of the city and left for dead. Okay, so Timothy was living in Lister, Probably, He may have seen it or at least, at least heard of this. May have been there to witness it. Paul was stoned, left for dead, drug out of the city. He got up and went back in the city again and started preaching. And I believe Timothy was there he would have either witnessed witnessed this or else he would have heard of it. He was, he was from that city. And when Paul came through, on his second missionary journey, when Paul came through the second time to Lystra, you know what? Timothy found something. He saw something in Paul that he wanted to, to identify with. And maybe... Maybe Timothy found an identity here with Paul that he never found in his childhood. I just believe that it's it's so important. And so it's so important for us to think about some of these things with uh, these boys in scripture. Um, there's others in scripture that, you know, you could point to their, their uh, childhood. So even with the life of Abraham, Abraham grew up in a, in a family that worshipped idols. How dysfunctional is that? He was about 75 years old. God called him to leave Ur of the Chaldees. They moved to Haran and then later to the land of Canaan. He grew up in a family that his, it says his father was an idol worshiper. Moses would have grown up in a family, in a family situation that was very, very far from ideal. Taken from his own Jewish roots, brought into Pharaoh's court, grew up in Pharaoh's court as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. No blood connection whatsoever. He was a little Jewish boy grew up in Pharaoh's court and God used him. God was able to use him. I think it's so important that we learn to apply God's grace in our lives, especially as it relates to childhood kind of issues. There's no room for blame in our pa- for our past and there's no excuse for slothfulness or negligence in our own family. God's grace is all sufficient. God's grace is all powerful. The other thing I'd like to think about here The clock up here says quarter after three, so. Okay. The other thing I'd like to think about here for a few minutes yet is, is uh, what God, how God uses or what God puts in place, uh, how God trains, how God trains us, God's training ground. Uh, we'll, we'll look at some examples from um, David's life and also maybe some other lives also, too. But let's think about David's life and make some applications from that first. Uh, God's training ground. The first one I have here is, is God often uses solitude to bring training into our lives. God uses solitude. The quietness, think about David. He's out there with his sheep. He's out there with his sheep. There's no noise, you know, maybe a little noise from the sheep, but solitude, quietness. Away from the crowds, away from all the noise and the chatter of everything. We find David in solitude. Many of David's uh, psalms that were used as songs in the Old Testament worship and so on were written during this time. Many of David's songs were written during that time. And I think there's about 70 or 80 um, psalm, uh, songs that would have been written by David, uh, songs that uh, can be used various times. But David learned to make this connection with God during those times, times of solitude. The second one I have is times of obscurity. Times of obscurity. No one notices. David was out there with the sheep. No one knows. One no, one, no one was watching him. No one, he wasn't really, you know, like accountable to somebody, you know. So, um, you know, he could have been out there all day just watching movies, you know. Could have been out there just, you know, doing whatever, wasting his time, but he wasn't. He wasn't wasting his time. We find uh, connections that he made with God and, uh, and insights into how God works and insights into God's character and nature come through in the book of Psalms that are actually very, 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 very much ahead of David's time. Some of these ideas are very New Testament coming through in the Psalms. And um, um, Psalms, uh, verses on forgiveness and cleansing and so on are, are amazing for Old Testament scriptures. Um, times of obscurity, no one notices, no one notices. And times of monotony, the third one I have is times of monotony. Think how monotonous this would have been for David out there in the wilderness, day after day, taking care of these sheep. And even when the brothers were called for a sacrifice, David didn't come. David wasn't called. He was out there taking care of the sheep by himself. No action, no action. He was just in there by himself. Yet he did, number four, have reality. He did live in a real world. We have examples of some men many years ago that that tried to be really, really spiritual. There's a there's an account of I don't, I forget his name. This monk that um, lived on top of a pole for many, many years. You know, he never got off. He lived on top of the pole. They brought him food and water and everything he needed, but he was trying to be real spiritual. He lived on top of a pole for many years, being spiritual. David wasn't living on top of the pole. You know, he was out there taking care of his sheep. He had to deal with the lions and the bears, and he had to find water and grass for his sheep, and so on. He was living in a real world. There's others that have tried to, you know, be really spiritual by kind of hiding or, or isolating themselves in a, in a monastery somewhere. But This wasn't David. David was out there taking care of the sheep. He was living in a real world. The Judean wilderness... Where David was taking care of the sheep was most was mostly actually mostly desert, mostly desert. Right, Floyd? Mostly desert. Yeah, mostly desert. If you've been to Israel, you can it's mostly desert. I find it really really interesting how often the how often the desert was used, how often the desert was used for a training ground for God's people. David may have spent 10 years in the desert taking care of sheep. We don't know how long it was, but there's other men in scripture. There's other men in scripture that God would put them in the desert for a while. Paul spent four years in the desert, in the Arabian desert with Jesus. I believe that's where he got, where he got the, the, the basis for his teaching and, and his preaching. Moses spent 40 years in the desert. Can you imagine Moses, an angry Egyptian prince, fleeing to the desert to take care of sheep? I'm sure that didn't go well the first few days. An angry man taking care of sheep? 40 years, 40 years in the desert. Moses was 40 years in the desert, God prepared him for 40 years of ministry with his people. One of the greatest leaders, one of the greatest leaders of scripture, in scripture, a man that was taking possibly a million people out of Egypt into the land of Canaan, through the wilderness again, yeah, God used the wilderness for 40 years for the children of Israel to make them into the kind of nation he wanted them to, didn't he? The desert, the wilderness, the desert. Paul spent time in the desert. Jesus spent time in the desert. God often uses... God often uses, God's, okay, let me say it this way, God's training ground is often the opposite of what we would think of as a place for training. God likes to take somebody, kind of take him away, put him somewhere, give him something to do, Give them work to do that, you know, it's not noticed. People aren't watching necessarily. People aren't watching. It's not noticed. Puts you by, by yourself somewhere. Not necessarily in isolation, but, you know, you take you away from the crowds. The crowds don't, aren't good training ground for God. He uses those kind of situations to help develop a man, a woman, into the kind of person he can use. David was faithful in, in all of the, in what he did. David was faithful with what he did, even though it may have been insignificant, even though it wasn't a prominent kind of position even though it was not something that everybody applauded and everybody noticed, he was faithful in what he did. As I said earlier, I'm on the board for Choice Books. Simon Schrock, about 50 years ago, started with about 12 titles at the National Airport in Washington. Today it's called the Reagan Airport. Choice Books started with about 12 titles in the National Airport. Today, Choice Books is, has about, Northern Virginia has about 6,000 accounts. We're selling about 9 or 10,000 books a day. One of Simon's, one of Simon's motto's through the years was faithful in little. If you look in your bullets, and you'll see that we've arranged for an ordination here, October the 31st. All of you will get the opportunity to nominate someone for this position. What kind of person are you looking for? I believe there are families, men, women here in the congregation who have done well with responsibilities that haven't been noticeable. Responsibilities that are kind of behind the scenes kind of things. Maybe you've taught Sunday school for many, many years, many years. People aren't always slapping you on the back for, the, for your great Sunday school classes. Maybe you've served on the food committee for a number of years. Isn't that interesting? Some God would, God is the kind of God that would like to take, maybe, like to take someone from the food committee and have them serve in the ministry. or a Sunday school teacher that has done well. And you're saying, well, I haven't done food committee or Sunday school, but you've been faithful in your family. You've been faithful in your family. You've been faithful in teaching your children in the ways of God. You've been faithful to your partner. It's the kind of people that God is looking for. It's the kind of people that God will probably call in October for a more visible ministry in our congregation. I was going to spend a little time on Saul's life this morning too, but I think our time is about here to close, we'll get to that some other time. We can look at Paul's life and we look at his missionary journeys and we say, Great, wow, Paul was an effective minister uh, in the missionary, um, an effective missionary, went on these missionary journeys, started all these churches. But if you look at Paul's background, we don't know exactly how old he was when he came to the Lord, a young man, I would assume, but he spent four years in the desert with Jesus. And in Acts chapter about 9 or so, it talks about Paul and Barnabas being involved in the church at Antioch. And they were involved in the church at Antioch as teachers for many years, before God called them to the, to the missionary on a missionary journey. And then we look at Paul's second missionary journey, and I probably studied that missionary journey more than some of the others. And you look at Paul's second missionary journey, and so you go to Acts chapter 16 and 17, and, you know, you can read through that in about 20 minutes. And you say, wow, that was great. He did a lot in a short time. But if you look at his second missionary journey, and you think about the distance he would have had to travel, and you think about how long it would have taken to walk that distance, and I know he's sailing a boat for some of it, but that wasn't much faster than walking sometimes. the second missionary journey probably took over a year to do that you know took over a year he had a lot of hardship and so Paul and Barnabas separated before the second missionary journey because Paul said John Mark is a quitter he's a quitter he's not going to make it and Paul was probably right he wouldn't have made it you look at Paul what Paul went through on the second missionary journey and John Mark wouldn't have made it Barnabas said, John Mark needs someone to go with him and be an encourager, and Barnabas was right too. And later we find Paul saying, bring John Mark along, I'd like to have him for my helper too. So God has lots of ways to train us and to, and to bring us, uh, to make us the kind of people that he wants us to be, and I, and I just uh, again this morning, I just um, think about think about Timothy and David as as boys growing up, and what it would have been like for them to grow up in these families where they were, and then think about how God used them. They, God could have never used them if they would have had resentment, if they would have had ill will or Bad feelings about their childhood. God couldn't have used them. They were able to deal with that. God gave them the resources to work through that and deal with that. God was able to use them, and so God's uh, training ground is very, very different than what we would often think of it as being. I see it's time to close, so let's kneel for prayer.